This sermon was recorded online during our season of Shelter in Place in Mountain View, California. I've been working my way slowly but steadily through a really interesting book by Bill Bryson. Some of you know him as the travel log writer of some years. He's an interesting guy. The books he writes are captivating in many ways. And he's written a new one in the last couple of years called The Body, A Guide for Occupants. And here's what he writes as he's unfolding his description and a bit of the history of how we come to understand what our, who, what our bodies are, how they function, you know, the brain, the circulatory system, all those things. So he opens up his book with this quote. The basic unit of life is the cell. Everyone has agreed on that. The cell is full of busy things ribosomes and proteins, DNA, RNA, and much other cellular arcana, but none of those are themselves alive. The cell itself is just a compartment, a kind of little room, a cell to contain them, and of itself is is as non-living as any other room. Yet somehow, when all these things are brought together, you have life. That is the part that eludes science. I kind of hope it always will. There's something in what he's describing the body as we can, we can describe the components. We know where they're present in a particular thing called a cell. But each of them by themselves is not necessarily alive. But together, they constitute what we call life. And I think that's a really helpful metaphor to understand the body, the body of Christ. That who we are and what brings us here today is, is the fact that Jesus is the one who's given us life as individuals, and now as a church when we come together, there is a life beyond anything that any one of us is capable of just by ourselves. We are talking very much about the body of Christ. And if you're with us a couple weeks ago, you know that this is the second part of our two-part series on the body. Two weeks ago, we were looking at Ephesians 2, and this was talking about Jesus himself is our peace. He is the one who has made peace between Jew and Gentile. He did that by his work on the cross. And so for the Jew that received that, the Jew is at peace with, his, with God the Father through the work of the Son. And the Gentile that received that is, a, is at peace with God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ. And both Jew and Gentile have no superior claim over each other. They are, in fact, both equally in need before God and equally satisfied by God himself through the sacrifice of the Lord. There is an equality in the body. There is no room for one group to feel superior over the next. Jesus is not only our peace with God the Father, but he is our peace with one another. And Jesus is always stretching our boundaries to understand that he is our peace. So that's what we looked at last time we were together. This time, part two, we move from that sense of identity, what God has done for us and who we are together as the body of Christ, to one of, okay, what does that really mean for us? How do we actually live? The fact that God made two people to become one. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I get it. I receive it. I like it. I'm just not sure how to function in that. If, if that, that is what the Jew and the Gentile was asking, Paul is answering that in this fourth chapter. And so he says, 
this. He, and we'll look at a couple. The, the Ephesians passage that Ryan just read has two places that we can focus on. The first is, well, how do I respond to that? What, what does it look like to actually live with Christ as my peace? What does it look like to live with people that I'm not familiar with? I'm not their same background. I, we don't have the same history. They're Jews. I'm a Gentile. I'm a Jew. They're a Gentile. You know, that's just the way church is supposed to go. But what does that look like? What am I supposed to do? That'll be the first thing we'll look at in this part two. And the second thing of part two is that now once I look at that and know how to respond, then now I'm actually supposed to do some things. You heard Ryan talk, read Ephesians 4, talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to look in detail, in any detail, frankly, about the gifts today, but we are talking about the fact that God has given those gifts, or in this context, graces, and what are we to do with those? And so th- that first part, when Jesus came and he says, um, you're no longer enemies, but now you're family members, you have a common identity, how to live this out? Here's the quote from Ephesians 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, Paul is enough of a, he's a realist. He knows what it's like when people from different groups try to come together and what's required. Think about that for yourself. Think of the time you joined a company. And you were glad to be there, but you weren't quite sure how this culture went. Or you uh, got into a school that you wanted to get into, and you're glad for that, but you're not quite sure how it, how it operates. You're trying to feel your, feel your way around, understand who the people are that you need to pay attention to, who the, what their content is. Um, we find ourselves in new situations. Uh, we're we're going to pray for Ryan a little bit later and uh, his soon-to-be bride, Amanda. Ryan's joining a new family. He might, I'm going to project, you might have some questions about what it's like to join a new family. But, but this, is, this is what it's like as when, when Christians from different backgrounds come together. And so these qualities of humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance, these are things that are necessary. Humility is essentially that treating others as better than yourselves. This is Philippians' definition. Philipp, you know, Paul says, do not consider yourselves more highly than you should, but consider others more highly than yourself. Think about them, their needs, their concerns, instead of your own. It's not that your own aren't important or don't require some attention. It's just that they're not to be in a constant state of elevation over those of others. Be humble. Humble is a way of emptying yourself, as Jesus did. Jesus emptied himself. Paul writes in, in Philippians 2. First, he emptied himself by coming down from heaven and taking on human form. Then he emptied himself by going to his death on the cross for us. He didn't have to come from heaven. It wasn't for his sake. It was for ours. He didn't have to go to the cross. It wasn't for himself. It was for us. He didn't have to be in human flesh and undergoing all the challenges and hardships of living in a fallen world, but he chose to. This is the, uh, the amazing expression of humility. But note that humility is not devaluing yourself. It's not saying, oh, I'm just a worm, I don't matter. No, Jesus knew, and he said to Pilate, I'm the king. You know, he didn't say I'm the king of the Jews, but Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he said, yes, it is as you say. He says, Jesus said to him, I give my life here. 
I'm not, I could call down legions of angels from my heavenly father and in an instant they would respond. So I am giving of myself. Humility is not some sort of cringing powerlessness, but it is choosing the way of dependence upon the Lord for his purposes. In our context, in our daily context, to be completely humble is to refrain from powering up on the other person because you may have more knowledge than they do. You, have may, you may have greater ability than they do. You may have a better track record than theirs. But humility is to look for a way to bless them, to include them, to honor them, to have them part of the team. Again, it's not that things don't need to be said, but there's not an air of superiority, but one of humility. A practical way of doing that as, as believers is when we go to church or we go to a Bible study, oftentimes they're thinking, well, what am I going to get out of this? Does this make sense? Uh, does this good use of my time? I'm super stressed or very busy. But the humble way is to say, Lord, help me understand who my brothers and sisters are in this hour that's ahead of us and what their needs are. Give me eyes to see what you're seeing that I might be your blessing. That's a humble posture. Gentle. Be completely humble and gentle. Gentle is this interesting word, isn't it? It means to come alongside in a way that's not pushy, in a way that is gracious, in a way that is considerate. And it has amazing power, doesn't it? Proverbs tells us a gentle answer turns away anger. But if you just go toe-to-toe with somebody, now you're just sort of ratcheting stuff up. A gentle answer turns away wrath. You know, our, our culture, our world considers humility and gentleness and even patience. We can throw that in. That it, he considers them, I think it considers them words of weakness, concepts that are ineffective, things that don't really play in the real world. I don't know about you, but in my even cursory reading of whatever's going on in our uh, world, political, commercial, what have you, I don't, I don't really see many examples of humility or of of gentleness or of patience. It's much more contentious. But the way of the believer is to be all these things because Jesus is all these things on our behalf. Not only humble, but he comes to us gently. And Lord knows he is certainly patient with us, isn't he? None of us are where we want to be or, or we're, we're not in terms of living out the image of Christ. But, and he knows that more than anyone else. But he greets us consistently with patience rather than judgment. He doesn't say, how many times do I have to tell you? He doesn't say, oh, I can't believe you did that again. He comes alongside. He is the lifter of our head. He is the restorer of our soul as we confess these things. And he infuses us with the grace that we need to, do, to be more like him going forward. Forbearance. Forbearance is a kind of a fancy word. It means... It's putting up with someone, just to put it in the vernacular. It's like, well, maybe they're not your cup of tea. You know, in other churches that you belong to, not ours, you may have met somebody that, that was just like, you know, I'm glad they're a brother, but I don't get them. And honestly, I don't think they really get me either. But, and, and maybe they're just a little bit awkward from your perspective, or maybe they're a little bit, they're just on an angle of some kind, and you're like, I, that's just hard for me. So that's okay. Different personalities, different backgrounds, different life experiences, different age, different political views, different uh, things that people like to do. That's all by God's design. I mean, you may think that it's a bug, but it's actually a feature. 
This is it's a feature of good fellowship. This is what God uses to shape us, to grow us in these things of patience and humility. These aren't kind of must-dos. These are things that actually allow us to reflect the Lord. You know, I think when you think about reflecting the Lord, how is it that you want to do that? Sometimes we have our go-tos. We want to reflect in being merciful to other people. We want to be compassionate. We'd like to be the vessel of healing prayer that really sees healing taking place because God moved us to pray for that person. I think that's great. But oftentimes we're resistant. I'll just speak for myself. I find myself a little more resistant to some of these areas, to being forbearing, to being patient. These are as important in, in my becoming like Christ as these other things. My prayer is that I become one who longs to see these. So when these opportunities appear, and they appear with far more regularity than I would like to admit, uh, to say, thank you, Lord, you're using that to shape me. This is how we respond in a fellowship where we don't come from similar places, backgrounds, ages, stages. Paul is calling that out. So that's how we respond. What do we do then with the gifts and the graces that he's given us. Remember the second part of that Ephesians reading that I mentioned says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he lists these manifestations of grace, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These have been given to equip people, that's us, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus. Now, that is a theological treatise all by itself. We don't have time to unpack that. But a couple things I want us to see. One is that it is, Paul is calling this the grace of God that gives us these certain gifts and areas to be a blessing to the body. Some people are apostles. Some have a way of sharing the word. They're evangelists. Some have a way of being alongside of people that are hurting. Those are pastors. Some are teachers who know scripture well. And all of them are to use their gifts to equip people for works of service so that the church can do what the church is supposed to do and so that the body of Christ can be built up until we reach unity, knowledge of God, and become mature, attaining to the full measure of Christ. Now, the full measure itself, that's, that's such an interesting phrase. It has all kinds of antecedents to it. But essentially, you know, Christ is all and in all. There's this idea of fullness. Think of it as, the way I think of it is understanding more and more of who Christ is, experiencing more and more of just of the fact that he is the ruler of this universe. He is the one who is the judge. He is the one through whom all things have been created. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the one that we long to experience, that we want to go deeper with, that we want to see transformation from, breakthroughs for healing, those things. This is, these are, we could go on describing aspects of the fullness of Christ and still not get there. But together, as each of us are using the grace that God has given us and bringing it into a local context, like Holy Trinity, for example, since we're here, then God uses that to build each of us up to experience together the more the fullness of Christ. You know, we said a couple weeks ago that the church could not be the church without both Jew and Gentile. Otherwise, it would be monocultural, and it would not be the church that's in Revelation. And in the same way, we can't be the church if only a few of us are using the grace that God gives us. It's kind of like a a puzzle. If you ever uh, 
been with friends or family members and, and you say, hey, let, let's put a puzzle together. And some of you guys are big puzzlers, like a thousand pieces, no problem, we can do that in an hour. But others of you, like that's a big labor. And imagine a situation where you're, you and some friends are building, you're making a puzzle, and each of you have pieces, and, you're, and you see the box and you see the image that's on it, and now you have to bring your pieces together. And the person who has the corner pieces, they're going to start. Those with the edges are going to go next. They're going to connect them. Those that are interior to that are going to look at the color for the code and, and try to connect their piece to the, the border that's now been formed. And you do this over time, and pretty soon the puzzle that you're making is actually reflecting the image on the box. It's like, that's great. But then what if somebody in the group doesn't want it? They stop contributing their pieces. They take a phone call. And they leave, but they, they, don't, they take their pieces with them. So now you have some gaps appearing. Now some of those pieces aren't being fitted in where they belong. Somebody else goes and raids the fridge. They don't put their puzzle pieces in. And so you have something that ends up being incomplete when originally its design was to be complete, but it required each person to give what they'd been given so that collectively the whole puzzle could be built and the image that was on the box becomes the image that people see. I hope that that's a good example, an analogy for what any local church, or certainly this local church, aspires to. That knowing that God has brought just the right people at this time to be conveying his image, to be conveying, expressing his love, to be able to teach his truth. But we can only do that as God is each of the graces that we've been given if we're able to contribute that on a consistent basis. Our American church is, as we know, pretty consumeristic in its mindset. We served in a mega church, and it wasn't uncommon to talk to people who say, I just love the teaching or I just love some feature of it. That's a good starting point. But that's really not why God, God brought you there. God brought you to bring your puzzle piece and to start using that in, in a particular way and to see that grow. And that's the only way that that person would end up seeing Christ in, in more of his fullness. If we do these things more and more as a community, we will do as, as our Ephesians passage closes and says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grown uh, and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are part of a new community. Two weeks ago, we talked, you know, Clement of Rome describes the church as a third race. And it's, he had Jew, and he's commenting on Jew and Gentile. And then there's this church, this transcendent community. But we can only fulfill the life that Christ has for us in that as we respond well and with grace and with sort of these, uh, you know, kind of weak words from the, uh, from the world's point of view, but ones that are very powerful and transforming, patience and gentleness and humility. We do those things, and we use our gifts and graces that God gives us, and we will see a fullness develop that will be inviting and be, at some points, compelling. And that is our hope, and that is our aim. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinity.com. 
sv.org.